0: Amen. How many of you can say amen right now to something that happened, something you heard, something you experienced? Amen is is a biblical phrase that means so be it. It's a, it's a term of agreement. I I agree with what you just said, God. I agree with what you just just did, God. And I I just want to encourage you to to always stand in agreement with the Lord. I want I want to share a a word that that God dropped on my heart during Um, that time of worship and then kind of get into the actual message that we have for day or or go into our world. But um, in in 2 Samuel chapter 24, we see um, uh, an incident where David is going to um, offer a, 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 a sacrifice to God. And he goes to this place Uh, a threshing floor. And back then, they they they, they, they would get their grain, and they'd bring it into the barn, and you'd have to go up onto like a high place where there was a wind that would cut across. And the threshing floor was where you brought in all your harvested grain, and then you would take like pitchforks and shovels, and you would throw the grain up in the air so that the wind would catch it and blow the chaff which is like the outer skin of the the, the grain or the seed. It would blow the chaff off, but the the grain, because it was heavy, would fall back to earth, and the wind would do all the work for you. That's a a word right there. Um, And so David goes up to this threshing floor to offer a sacrifice to God, and the threshing floor is owned by a man named Aruna, And Aruna. Wants to give David the threshing floor and give David the animals necessary to, to present this sacrifice to God. And David says something, and this is what I felt like God put on our heart, and I, and I want to encourage you in this. David says this in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse number 24. So that's an easy one to remember 24, 24. But the king said to Aruna, No, But I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that costs me nothing. See, in our consumer Christianity that we've leveraged in our culture to fill buildings with people who are saved but unregenerate, has led us to a place where we invite people to worship a God, but it costs them nothing to worship. It is impossible to call something a sacrifice that costs you nothing. And so I just want to encourage you, as you come before the Lord, whether it's in your personal time at home, whether it's in your service, whether it's in going out to your world to to share Jesus with other people, whether it's during worship, whether it's in your giving, whether it's in your serving. Make sure that it costs you something. Things that cost nothing have no value. I know some of the greatest things in the world are not bought with a price. I, I hear that, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. You get what you pay for. And as we prepare to transition into the final message of this series, Go Out Into Your World, the reason that we are challenging ourselves as followers of Jesus to go out and share Christ with people is because Jesus paid a high price for the world. We're going to hear it later on today. But God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish and have everlasting life. Jesus paid a price that would buy the whole world. And theologically, we know that not all will be saved, but that's God's intention. And it's like what Chantel was saying during worship. Our will, your will, has to line up with his will. Because a lot of people who aren't saved are saved by their own free will. I don't want your free gift of grace, God. I prefer an eternity in hell. But nevertheless, Jesus Died to buy the world. And it's our responsibility and our great privilege and joy and opportunity to go out and get everything Jesus paid for. Because if it costs you nothing, it's worthless, and Jesus paid too high a price. So I just want to encourage you, man, let your praise, let your worship, let your service, let your giving, let 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 everything about you cost you something because God's worth it. Amen. Amen. Well, before we dive in, one last thing. Just a reminder, this Thursday, November 3rd, at 6.45, Right here at the North Braddock campus, we are going to be having our worship team interest night. It's an interest meeting. Yeah, come on, somebody. If you're interested in being a part of this amazing anointed group of people whom God is using to invite his presence, look, I know he's omnipresent, but there's something about worship that Psalm 22.3 says he, he inhabits the praises of his people. And so if you want to be a part of that, You're going to want to be here on Thursday night at 6.45, and you can pull out your phone and click that QR code that's on the screen there, and it will take you to a link where there's a little form you can fill out. So we know you're coming, because it takes, there's a high standard and expectation to be up here. And and we don't want to disqualify anybody. We want to see what we can do to qualify what God is doing in your life. And so I strongly encourage you to, to, to sign up for that. Get out here, um, and, and let's use our gifts to serve God. And maybe you're not the most musical person. We got plenty of other stuff for you to do, too. We're, we're in the process of training some new kids' workers right now, and we're trying to um, start a second kids' group so we can separate the, the, the preschool through second graders from the third and fifth graders. How many of you know that would be a good idea? I know our Bridge City kids... Teachers know that would be a good idea. Um, so we would love to get you connected there or on our welcome team, our usher team. There's so many different things that you can do here, and you can find out all about that at Next Steps next Sunday morning. And so, uh, yeah, we'll just leave it there. All right. The word of the Lord. Go out into your world. We're going to be starting off here um, with, a, with, a, with a quick reminder. Let me get my self set here. How many of you know that there are people watching you? I don't mean the government. (laughs) They are watching you, but I'm not talking about them. You know, I'm not talking about Elon Musk or, you know, any of the... But but there are people in your life, in your day-to-day life, people where you work, people where you go to school, people where you mow your grass... People where you go and do your hobbies or watch your kids do their hobbies. There are people in this world, whether you know them or not, and they are watching you. And they are watching you either to plot for your downfall or wait for you to mess up, or they are watching you because there's something inside of you that they see that they admire Something inside of you that inspires them. Something inside of you that makes them want to be a better person. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I believe the Bible says Christ in us is the hope of glory. And if there's anybody that ever sees anything in me, it has to be the Jesus in me because I know the parts of me that aren't Jesus and that ain't worth admiring. But nevertheless, there's a reality as followers of Jesus Christ that people are not only watching us, but God strategically, in his divine providence and wisdom from the from his foreknowledge before the foundations of the earth, he, he ordained the places and times in which you should live. Acts 17, 25 tells us that He He ordained the places and the, the times, the periods in which we would live. And so God picked you to be in that job or that school or living on that street or 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 whatever the case may be. And the reason why he did it, and the reason why he he saved you is because he knows there are people within that sphere of influence that he is going to use you to bring them to a saving knowledge of him people are watching you and so we have to be ready we have to be ready not just to go out into our world but to be ready to receive people when they come to us and say what is it about you you know I was joking with Pastor Rick our lead pastor, who is an extrovert to the nth degree. I think he thinks everyone is an extrovert, and if they're not an extrovert, they should be an extrovert. But I now, in public disclaimer, digress from that and say that at least half the population is introverted. And you know what? Going out and talking to people, not on our to-do list. Not the easiest thing to do. And so sometimes... For those of us that that are in that introverted vein, it's like, well, you know, it's kind of tough to go out and talk to people, but you know what? They're still watching you. And God has set you like a city set on the hill to be a light in whatever dark area that you're in so that at some point in time, people begin to start coming to you and flocking to you and asking, what is it about you? What is it about you that makes you so joyful? What is it about you that makes you so generous, so kind, just such a pleasure to be around? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not that person, I was going to say shame on you, but I don't want to publicly promote shame on anyone. But nevertheless, Galatians 5 tells us he gives this this thing called the fruit of the Spirit, the produce of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces in us love, joy, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these things are attractive to people. And so if you're in that place of surrender, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, it's so glad the Holy Spirit brought that out through Chantel today, if you're in that place of surrender where you're yielding to the Holy Spirit of God, there are things that should be just kind of produced in your life by virtue of Him being inside of you that make people say, wow, you're just so joyful. Wow, you're one of the most patient people. I'd have punched that guy in his face. But you were so kind and patient. What is it about you? And so today we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture where, where someone sees something in Jesus and it's so amazing, they want to ask Jesus more about it. And how many of you know that whether you're introverted or extroverted, there should be amazing produce, fruit in your life that makes people want to come and say, hey man, what is it about you? You're just awesome. And so today we're going to take a look at what it looks like to be a, not just a soul winner, but a winsome soul. Someone that people want to be around. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Not sometimes, not when you feel like it, not when you're in a good mood, always. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, not the people that you like, not the people that look like you, not the people that you want to talk to, not the people that don't annoy you, when anybody and everybody asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So Peter's telling us there's an implication. There should be something in your life that makes people want to know what it is about you. There should be. But he also gives this caveat, this disclaimer that the church has forgotten from time to time. Do this with gentleness and respect. Selah. See, and the amazing thing about Peter is he's writing to Christians in about 63 AD who are enduring great persecution. They are being persecuted by the Roman government because of their faith. And he's not saying, hey, go hunker down in caves. Hey, go and start prayer meetings and bind the Leviathan spirit over your nation. Hey, go and get online and and rebuke and chastise everybody that's not like you. He's saying, hey, get ready because when people watch you endure suffering like you're enduring, they're going to be like, man, how are you doing it? And I know that there are people here right now that are going through difficult, horrific trials, and God isn't doing that to punish you. God's not allowing it because he's forgot about you or doesn't care about you. Maybe, just maybe, God has permitted it to provide an opportunity in a moment so that people watching you suffer with the fruit of the Spirit still coming out in your life, and they say, tell me how you do it. Jesus. And so today we're going to look at a person of Scripture who sees this in Jesus's life and wants to know more. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of John chapter 3, a chapter ahead of where we were uh, last Sunday, chapter before. And we're going to see this evangelistic opportunity, that's what it is. You know, it's a lot easier to evangelize people when they seek you out than when you have to go find them. And if you live, I believe this, if we live a right enough way, people will want to come and ask us. Doesn't mean that we don't have to go out and find them. The Bible is clear that that's something we should do. But there's also that amazing moment when a coworker comes to you in the break room and says, Hey, could you tell me a little bit more? And that's what we're going to see here in a moment, because Jesus was living in such a way that this man named Nicodemus, who we're going to meet here in a moment, who who is a leader in the Pharisee party. Now, Pharisees were one of the religious groups in Israel at that time, but you have to understand that the society that they're living in Everyone's religious. There's no such thing as atheism. Everyone believes in some form of God or some form of spiritual thing. Atheism, the denial of the supernatural and the divine, is relatively a new construct that's pretty much limited to the 20th century. So being a religious leader also meant you were a political influencer as well. You were a social influencer. You were an economic influencer who had ties and connections and leverage in the business world. So we're not talking about some schmo who's down on his luck. We're not talking about a down and outer. We're talking about an up and comer, someone who sees something in Jesus's life and wants to find out more. And so John chapter 3, starting at verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 15, so kind of buckle in here. We're going to read a a big piece of the Bible. That should be okay. It's church. Um, But John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Now, you have to understand this is theologically significant because within the Gospel of John, one of the themes in his Gospel is light and darkness, light and darkness. And so someone coming at night is like a hint, hint, wink, wink, that this is somebody who wants to now move from the darkness to the light. But it's also socially and culturally significant because back then people didn't move around at night. It was dangerous at night and the only type of people that moved around at night were those dirty people, those yucky people, those icky people, those prostitutes and sinners and drug addicts and all those icky people. Well, here we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. Because he was willing, what he saw in Jesus, he was willing to brave not only the danger of being out at night, being robbed, jumped, mugged, stabbed, whatever, but he was also willing to risk the social stigma of being caught moving around at night to see Jesus. But he wasn't yet at a place where he was willing to go in the daytime. See, and I think that ties into where I believe God specifically, prophetically has us right now. Are we willing, because here's the thing, if we can't be unrefined and unreserved for God in here, we'll never be it out there. And it's so amazing, Chantel brought it up during worship, and it was right before that Pastor Tom came over, we were singing, we need to move. God's waiting for us to move. God's waiting for us to let it cost us something. Because it's not a sacrifice until it does, but the moment it becomes a sacrifice, it's consumed by the fire of God. And we need the fire of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked about it last week. We need that to reach the world. So he comes to Jesus at night. Rabbi, Nicodemus says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. So he sees, he's like, man, there's something about you. There's something godly about you, I need to know more, because no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Notice Jesus didn't say, well, hey, you know, here's here's the 10 steps you need to do to become a more godly person. He actually took a very straightforward and practical question and took it to like a depth that Nicodemus wasn't ready. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. Verse 4, Nicodemus says, Well, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Huh? Wait, I'm I'm like, what? You're losing me, Jesus. Jesus. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Flesh gives birth to flesh, Jesus says, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Well, clearly Nicodemus was surprised. The wind blows wherever, please. All right, Jesus, okay, can we pause? You're talking about being born again. You're talking about water. You're talking about spirit. Now you're talking about wind. What are you talking about, Jesus? Don't don't pretend you're so spiritual that you know, if you were Nicodemus, you'd know what Jesus was talking about. It says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have an eternal life in him. And so we see this really crazy interaction. And I don't know if you ever read it that way and and realized how preposterous some of Jesus' responses were. I mean, Nicodemus is an educated guy. He has the entire Bible, which at that time in their life was the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament. He has it memorized. Just think about this. And Jesus is giving him answers that don't appeal necessarily to the religious system he's a part of. And we have to understand that we live in a very religious culture. People are religiously connected to a system whether it's Christianity, some other form of religious faith, or you know what, they're just religiously irreligious. They religiously party. They religiously club. So for some people, and this used to be me before Jesus, their sports team is their religion. I would literally fill out job applications, and Mark, this is back in the day for all you young people, it used to be on paper, and you'd have to go to the place where you wanted to get a job. So, so you had to look presentable just to get the application. And they would, they would have a little bar, and it would say, what hours and days do you want to work? And I would always put a big X on Sunday, and then they would have a little line. The reason why you can't work these days. And I would say, for religious purposes. The reason was not because I was going to church, because them Stillers was playing at 1 o'clock. And there's no way I'm missing that Stiller game. But people are in systems People are in systems of pursuit of wealth, pursuit of fame, pursuit of status and stature. And the amazing thing about it is none of those systems are designed to scratch the itch they're trying to get scratched. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And so we try to scratch that eternal itch by trying to become something other than a son or daughter of the Most High God. And so Nicodemus is at the peak of his career. He's, he couldn't get any better, in all honesty. But he saw something in Jesus that attracted him because everything I've been searching for, I've gone to the mountaintop, I haven't found it, but I see it in you and I want to know more about it. And so he comes and he wants to know, how do I have what you have? And so this morning, the big idea that we have to understand is this. Followers of Jesus will feel excited and empowered to invite people to him when we remember these three things about our faith. It's a supernatural lifestyle, it's a surrendered lifestyle, and it's a superior lifestyle. So let's take a look at the first one here. And I kind of hinted at this. You'll notice that Jesus doesn't give Nicodemus the ABCs of salvation, and he doesn't appeal to his emotions. He actually gets into some deep theological spiritual jargon that most places, if we were teaching you how to evangelize, I want you to picture this. If you came to Pastor Tom... And say, Pastor Tom, teach me how to win the loss. Pastor Tom has a gift for it. He loves, he's our outreach coordinator. Not because it's a title, but because it's who it is. And he would do it with or without the title. You said, Pastor Tom, teach me how to evangelize. The chances of Pastor Tom teaching you, you know what, here's what you need to do. You need to go to your neighbors and you need to say, you have to be born again and tell them about wind. No, we, 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 we want to give you practical Cookies on the bottom shelf, steps to help people understand. But here's the thing here's my fear, here's my concern with where we are as a people, as a, as a Christian faith right now. We've become too practical. We are supernatural people, this is a supernatural lifestyle. And there's a point in time where the ABCs of salvation and God will make you feel better doesn't work because you're just appealing to the soul or to the intellect, but God wants to reach the spirit man and put the defibrillator on it and make their spirit come alive with supernatural truths and realities. And we got to remember, we are a supernatural people, but here's the reason why we don't our supernatural lifestyle, especially in America. We've been talking about it the last couple of worship experiences. You know why? Because the supernatural stuff is weird, and we don't want to look like weirdos. Now, I'm not encouraging, because look, there's a lot of weirdos out there that like to use supernatural, spiritual things as their outlet for their weirdness. We will not permit that here. But this idea that we have to make everything bottom shelf has led us to the place as Christians where we want the cookies to be so accessible we're just dumping them on the floor and then we don't we wonder why nobody wants what we got. I didn't get saved by some ABCs. I got saved because a radical Jesus visited me in a deep, dark place in a jail cell in Somerset County Jail. Because I said, God, if you're real, you have to do something because I can't come back to this place. And God filled me with his Holy Ghost. He touched my heart. He radically changed me. And now the things that I used to like, I don't like them no more. And now I'm having a hunger for different things. It's a supernatural lifestyle that we're inviting people to. And can I encourage you? Look, we don't want weirdness, but guess what? The world is weird. How many of you have heard of this little thing happening tomorrow called Halloween? Weird. I have a neighbor down the streets, wonderful couples. We're building a relationship with them. Don't decorate for any other holiday, but August 31st, they're out setting up their 10-foot, I kid you not, 10-foot skeleton with glowing eyes, tombstones with all these little funny things on it, and then the coup de gras, the piece de resistance, a nine-foot werewolf that has a glowing eyes and glowing mouth and opens up and growls at you when it walks by. Nine-foot werewolf. Weird. Teddy can't even poop in their yard anymore. He, he comes trying, that he's like, <laughs> weird. Adults dressing up in costumes, weird. You want to know what else is weird? And I'm going to come on this side of the stage because I, superhero movies, weird. But that's okay because I love them. I'm weird. I'm cool with being weird. That's okay. Come on, somebody. I got lightsabers. Don't laugh at me. I don't care. But that's weird. How many of you heard this little thing called TikTok? Some weird stuff on there, bro. And the crazy thing about TikTok is this. We forget that those people film themselves doing that weird stuff, don't we? They, they like, they set it up. This was intentional. They got little rigs and little lighting gear. And they probably had like three, four, 15, 23 takes. So that their weirdness can invade the airwaves and we could consume it. Weird. How about this? In temples all around America, and right now one in London, there are grown men bare-chested with their body paint on and a, and, a, and a mask cheering for a team. Weird. But we want to be practical. We don't want to speak in tongues in front of people because that's weird. No, nine-foot werewolves are weird. And I'm cool with that. Hey, you want to have a nine-foot werewolf in your yard? Great. I'm not going to put a 9-foot Jesus statue with his arm open in my yard cuz Brazil already got that. <laughs> but I'm not going to I'm not going I'm not going to believe God to heal somebody. I'm not going to invite them to a supernatural lifestyle where God can literally change the DNA molecules in their being so that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 can be real. Anyone that be in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is passed away. I'm a spirit man. But we want to keep dumbing down. We want to keep keep downplaying the supernatural reality of who we are as believers because we want to be practical. We want to be relatable. I think it's time for us to get a little weird, to be quite honest with you. See, because the difference between our weird and their weird, their weird has no transformative power, none whatsoever. Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And then he says, you shouldn't be surprised by my saying that. Could it be that in an effort to be practical and relatable and appealing to the world around us, we've distanced ourselves from the supernatural reality of the Christian life? Is it possible that our current iteration of American Christianity has no power and no answers? And we can, we can convince ourselves that we do, but we don't because the world looks worse every day. Is it possible that we have no power and no answers because we're too busy being flesh giving birth to flesh. I submit that for your consideration in your prayer time. See, we're too worried about freaking people out, but you know another weird thing? Hell. Where the worm doesn't die, the fire doesn't quench, outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth makes that nine-foot werewolf look like a poodle. Because there's a real werewolf there, devouring people's flesh. But we don't want to be weird to save people from going to there. Huh. You know, I had a friend, an associate, many years ago. His wife was on our praise team at a church that I used to pastor. And he was a Muslim. And I'm not talking about this Um, black supremacist nation of Islam. I'm talking about legitimate Islamic faith Muslim. He had a similar backstory to me. He did significant more time in prison than I did. He got busted at a young age, so he's still about my age. And, And he would come when his wife was singing on praise team. He would come. And every time he was there, while the word went forth, I could see tears rolling out of his eyes. This is a hard, this is a tough man. He's not a weak cry dude. Every time, and every time we would have an altar call, he would go into hover mode and he would wait till everyone was gone and he would come up and he would want to talk to me. And he would always want to talk, like, man, like, I just see, and this was the, the language, and I'm sure you've heard this, man, I just see the positivity in your life. The, the positivity. Man, I just want, how, how do you have, and, and, The first couple of times he asked, I would I would give him biblical principles, but not say that they were biblical principles because I didn't want to offend him. You know, I'm loving my wife, I'm loving my kids, I'm serving God, blah, 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 blah. And then the one time he came, tears rolling down his face, and I was just like, like Muhammad, bro, it's Jesus. I gave my life to him, and he changed me. And I could give you every principle on planet Earth, but if you don't give your life to Jesus, you'll never experience the change that you see in me and want for yourself. And so we conversed for about an hour or two after church that day, and he shared with me about his Muslim faith and how one of his biggest struggles—you want to get this—you got to get to know people that, that that aren't followers of Jesus. One of his biggest struggles was the idea of the incarnation. Because Allah, God, to to them, how could God come and put on flesh? Because flesh is dirty. Like, Like this, he literally said this. He's like, but he defecated. Like he couldn't conceptualize that God would put himself in a situation where he would have to take a poop. And it enabled me to walk him through the Romans road and share with him Romans 8.3. I said, bro, he had to put on flesh because sin was a problem in the flesh and he had to condemn sin in sinful flesh. He had to be made like us. But more than that, he's a faithful high priest. He's been tempted like us in every way but was without sin so he can help us when we need help. And I was able to communicate with him in this way. We got past the practical and into the real. Now I'd like to say that Muhammad gave his life to Jesus at that moment. He didn't. But the reality of it is I did my job, and as someone who shares Jesus with the world, you have to remember this, because it's real easy to get disappointed. Oh, no one got saved. No one responded. It's just your job to tell them. Early in my faith, I shared my faith with everybody. Everybody that I could, and no one got saved. No one got saved. People that I used to run the streets with, people that saw how messed up I was and then saw the change, didn't want nothing to do with me. And I'm like, God, no one's getting saved. And, and I was so dis- discouraged and heartbroken, and the Holy Spirit said, it's just your job to tell them. This is what he said to me. It's your job to ensure that no one meets me on that day and can honestly look in my face and say, I never heard no one told me. That's your job. But it comes from the fact that we are a supernatural people living a supernatural lifestyle. The second, the second thing is a surrendered life. See, in our world, and even a lot of Christians, we don't like this, do we? Because surrender means I got to give up. Yeah, you do. When a more powerful king invades your world, you kind of surrender. Or you die in the fight. Ooh. And by virtue of telling Nicodemus, I want you to catch this, that you must be born again, he's implying to Nicodemus that it's like, hey, bro, even though you're naturally a grown man, and Nicodemus would have been an older man at this time, he's like, you've got to become like a baby. We're just a few short weeks from Tobias, our youngest son, entering into the world. And guess what? Tobias, Tobias is going to be needy. Like everything. Food, someone else got to do it. Poopy diaper, Christine got to do it. <laughs> if he wants to move from room to room, somebody else got to do it. And, and, and as Christians, we have, some of us, to varying degrees, and it's better to recognize it sooner than later, we are not in control. We've surrendered ourselves to Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we, we, we want to be like scrappy I'm Like, no, I got this covered. I can do this myself. And then we're like, oh, help me, Jesus. I'm in another mess that I made. But there's a whole world out there that doesn't want to surrender themselves to Jesus, but surrenders themselves to everything else on planet Earth. Young ladies and young men surrendering themselves to unhealthy, toxic relationships with other grown babies who don't know how to be a man or a woman that cares and surrenders and submits and truly loves sacrificially. Remember, TikTok. But we're inviting people to a surrendered lifestyle. So one, that means we have to live a surrendered lifestyle. But the other thing is, is that because people reject that notion of surrender, we have to remind them that this surrender isn't just giving up and becoming a slave to another set of ideologies. That's what a lot of people have made Christianity, unfortunately. You've exchanged the bondage of being addicted to sin to the bondage of having to do all these do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts can be good, but they don't get you to heaven any more than they would have before you accepted Jesus. But see, the beautiful thing about the surrendered life is this. We give up. Matthew chapter 11 Verse 28, look at what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. How many of you know some people in your life that need some rest for their soul right now? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The call of people to come to Jesus is the call of surrender so that you can have your heavy burdens lifting and let the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost do the heavy lifting for you because you're surrendered in his arm like a sweet little baby that knows your daddy will take care of you. It's a surrendered life. We're inviting people to a life where they can come free from the shackles of the weight of the world on their shoulders and say, give it to Jesus, he'll do the heavy lifting. But you've got to surrender yourself to a process, and that's why next Sunday, 5 p.m. here, we're doing growth track. See, growth track isn't just an assimilation strategy. It's not another system of do's and don'ts. It's actually a process that we surrender ourselves to to grow. In the same way, Tobias is going to have to surrender himself to a process that, bro, you're four. You can't scream in the middle of the night because you're hungry anymore. Or, bro, you're six months. You can't stand up and walk across the room yet. But submit yourself, surrender yourself to the process that I have given as a dad to help you to grow from babe to mature. And so we have to submit ourselves to a process. People have to submit. We have to surrender ourselves to a process. So if you haven't signed up, surrender. Surrender. We got child care. We got food. There's going to be food there. We're going to get some food in your tummy. Yins ain't going to have to worry about nothing. Stillers ain't playing that night. It's going to be all right. They're on bye week. That's why we scheduled it that week. (laughs) Because we know Yins wouldn't have came. But surrender yourself to the process. Last, it's a superior lifestyle. And I'm going to have Caden come up so we can land the plane here. It's a superior lifestyle. Now, this is where, as as a preaching team, we were like, whoa. Pastor Eric was like, I kind of have a check there. Superior lifestyle. It's like, yeah, bro. It is. See, in the same way we downplay the supernatural reality of our Christian life, we downplay the fact that it's a better life than any other form of life on planet Earth. If you are a follower of Jesus, how many of you can honestly say, and please participate in this part, how many of you can honestly say your life is better since surrendering to Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your past and the leader to your future? Why would we not invite people to a superior life and why would we not view our Christian life as superior? That doesn't mean that we get to be arrogant, abrasive, or hostile with it. But how many of you will argue with someone about what's the best football team? Or what's the best restaurant? Or who the best politician is? Or what the best movie is? How many of you have... have you've, you've vehemently argued your position... And so have other people, Christian and not. We vehemently argue our position because we think what we believe in is better. And the reality of it is, I can empirically and not just subjectively say Christianity is superior, I can objectively say that Christianity is superior. How so? I haven't been to jail since I've been God, clap, come on. Uh, maybe, you know, jail. Uh, maybe I wish you'd go to jail. I haven't beaten anybody up since I've been a Christian. <laughs> haven't been laid on a bill since I've been a Christian. Haven't gone without food, slept in an abandoned building. Haven't cheated on my significant other. Come on. I've been healed, saved, set free, and redeemed, and I've seen other people's lives change because I've been willing to tell them about the man who told me everything I ever did, loved me before he ever met me, and took me just as I was. My life is better and superior because I am a child of the Most High God, and you are too, and it's about to start living like it and telling people about it. Oh, man, bro. Have you been to Sentecolo yet? No, what's Sentecolo? Dude, it's this really banging Italian restaurant out in North Huntington, owned by Christians, amazing. Food is delicious. Portions are off the chart. Service is par excellence. Why can we share superior other things with people, but not share the superior lifestyle we have in Christ with others? We need to stop apologizing for our Christian lifestyle and become apologists for how wonderful the Christian life is. You say, what's apologist? It's from the word apologia. And in English it means to defend the faith. But you remember 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15? And it said to be ready to give everyone a answer or a reason for the hope that you have? the greek word there for reason or answer is apologia we need to tell people how good this thing is last but not least and then i'm out of your way finish john some of the most famous words in the bible john 3 16 and 17 most of you probably didn't even realize that this was jesus still continuing his discussion with nicodemus Look at what he tells Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is a message worth sharing. We're not inviting people to another set of practical systems. We're not inviting people to another set of do's and don'ts. We're inviting people to a relationship with God himself. At Bridge City Church, we exist so that as many people as possible can begin a relationship with God and then by virtue of surrendering themselves to a process of discipleship, become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's the only reason why we're here. And it starts because we believe that that's a better message. We believe that it's worth telling people that God sent his son so that whoever, by virtue of their will, would believe in him, so that they could avoid eternal perishing and have eternal life. We run out into the highways and byways to tell people that God did not send his son to condemn them, but to save them. And you know, it's no more condemning to tell someone about their lifestyle. I want you to hear this. That doesn't line up with God than it is to tell someone with cancer that they have cancer, right? If I had cancer and the doctor came to me and said, hey, John, you've got cancer, I wouldn't feel that he's condemned me because I have an issue that's wrong and he wants to help me make it better. If we go to someone and say, hey, you know, that life that you're living, it's not up to the excellence that God has plan for you. We're not condemning them. We're telling them there's an issue that could kill them, and we're here to help them make it better. Amen? This time I'm going to have Pastor Tom and Dave get ready to come and tell us about some things that are happening. Before I do that, here's what I want to do. If you're here today right now, and you want to embrace the supernatural, Surrendered and superior life that is found only in Jesus Christ by receiving Jesus as the forgiver of your past your savior and the leader to your future your Lord if you want to receive that life say I want to make today the place and time where I'm born again and I'm ready to submit myself to a process. If that's you, I just want you to wave your hand right now. Just wave your hand if you want to receive Jesus. Amen. I see that hand. I see a hand in the back there. Anybody else? I want, I want to do that right now. Maybe you're here today and you kind of did this deal before, but you're, you've, you've, you've forgotten the supernatural or the surrendered aspect of it. And you say, you know what? I want to recommit, I want to give my life back. To Jesus, because I kind of, I kind of took it back. I was playing in Indian Givers, and I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to fully surrender. If that's you, you put your hand up as well. And someone from our response team will come and minister to you, talk with you. Amen. Well, Pastor Tom and Dave, would you come? Let us know what's happening. And thank you guys so much for letting me share the word of the Lord with you today.